0: Welcome to Seeing Color, a podcast that talks with cultural workers and artists of color in order to expand the area of what is a predominantly white space in the arts. I'm your host, Z1 Chong. Hey y'all, I hope your week's going well. This is the last episode where I revisit previous guests to cap off my two-year anniversary of this podcast. Sometimes I wonder who I am celebrating this with and who is actually listening, but for those of you out there, I hope this is bringing some moments of joy. For the last two weeks, I talked with Heron Idea and Justin Favela, and you can check those out as well if you missed them. For this particular week, I have my good friend, Carol Zoe, someone who I've known for over a decade. Carol's work facilitates creative social change projects with a focus on racial justice, informal labor, and public space. Informing a lot of Carol's work is the belief that we are most free when we help others get free. I was able to catch up with Carol late at night, and we talk over some drinks through Zoom, which the sound quality leaves much to be desired. I did my best to clean it up but hopefully you can bear with it. Our chat is quite informal, which is to say a bit all over the place. And we discuss motorcycles, being rooted in place, Chinese kanji recipes, and how to spend your time at art residencies. I hope you enjoy this
1: um it was really good so yeah uh, what also separates my shed from the front house is this really nice patio uh-huh. and so uh, it's like enough space to do tai chi which is amazing because it's really hard to find enough space to do tai chi um and so yeah i've been doing it off and on and you know like i dropped off for maybe a month but the
0: muscle memory came back that's, so that was good that's great how long have you been doing tai chi
1: Uh, since 2017. Mm. Um, but I've been doing it on and off. So this person that I met in Dallas, um, they taught me Tai Chi. And so like, once you know the form, it's just about practicing it. And they sent me a video that I follow. So yeah, I've been doing it off and on. Yeah, no, it's, it's super good. And I feel like every time I, discover oh my god last time we talked about tai chi too and you made fun of me you were like carol's doing tai chi moves right now
0: um was i actually making fun of you or just commenting
1: is there a difference is there a difference
0: (laughs) i don't think i'll make fun of you for doing tai chi i don't know maybe maybe i was being particularly facetious that night i don't know
1: okay yeah yeah so anyway like yeah, I think tonight I had a realization or it's more, I had a realization about like how the moves function as a martial art, um, um, you know, and I think my moves were more martial art like, which was good. <laughs>
0: uh, what are you drinking? Water? Vodka? I'm drinking
1: Sotol.
0: Oh, oh, okay.
1: Um, it's a Mexican alcohol that's made in Chihuahua. And it's I think it's similar to mezcal. It's maybe even like less syrupy than mezcal. And yeah, I dig it. But I, it's possible to drink a lot of it, and so it's kind of dangerous. <laughs> dangerous.
0: So how how was your day?
1: Um, my day was actually very stressful because I had three major projects to complete this week.
0: Three. And Jesus Christ.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, and this is because I have two gigs, because I also thought that was a good idea. Um, what are
0: your two gigs?
1: My main gig is I'm a full-time artist in residence at Little Tokyo Service Center, which is the community development corporation in Little Tokyo, Los Angeles. So I work with them to use art for resident engagement, empowerment, community advocacy, urban planning, etc., and my second very, very part-time gig is a cultural <laughs> organizer. Very, very part-time um, <laughs> with U.S. Department of Arts and Culture. And so basically, basically what happened this week was uh-huh. today I had a huge grant due for Little Tokyo Service Center. Uh And we are also printing these zines of resident artwork during COVID-19. And so today, I also wrapped all of that up and sent it to the printer. Uh And then on the U.S. Department of Arts and Culture side, we are doing a project called the People's WPA Works Progress administration and so today we were wrapping up the finalist selection process for that and so basically it's just one of those days and now it's eight at night and I'm talking to you just kidding Um, (laughs) oh and then and then and then I've been I had been feeling oh okay and and then this is also what else happened in my day right so I've also been feeling a little bit guilty about my lack of Like participation in the streets during the protests this summer, and so I volunteered to send out some tax information packets. Mm,
0: That's important. Um,
1: to incarcerated folks, yeah, and specifically it's about the stimulus check. And so I was like, okay, time to go print out like thirty packets of tax information. Oh, do
0: do do, do people on top of all that? Are people incarcerated? Do would they are they allowed stimulus checks?
1: Uh, Yeah. So they made the decision on September 24th, but they have to file by October 15th, which is absolutely absurd. Because (laughs) Yeah. Who in prison is on Twitter learning about how they get their stimulus check? Right. And so there's been this big push um, nationwide from organizers to mail out tax information to inmates. So so I was like, you know what? Like I watch a lot of Netflix these days and addressing envelopes is something I can do while I watch Netflix. What are you
0: watching on Netflix?
1: I am watching lots of things. Basically I watch shows with my partner and so I'm not allowed to like get ahead on some shows. So then Uh I have to like find other trash on Netflix to watch (laughs) when I'm alone. (laughs) Which means that I'm watching five shows when (laughs) usually Usually I would just binge one, but for example, so last night I watched vampires versus the Bronx, which is a <laughs> kid's movie about gentrification, which the gentrifiers are vampires, like legit vampires uh-huh. who are buying up real estate to create a vampire nest and they have to defeat the vampires. Is this a cartoon so that, or
0: live action?
1: No, 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 no. It was live action. Okay. And um, jesus or Mero. I forget. One of the dudes. One, 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 <laughs> of, one of
0: the, one of the Bodega boys.
1: <laughs> no, one of the dudes from Disa's and Marrow is in it. Whatever. It's actually, yeah, it's super, it's super great. I would highly recommend it. It's like super educational, super fun. I think just like very formulaic in terms of its pacing, but, you know, formulaic works. So, yeah, basically i was sitting at home watching Vampires versus the Bronx. And I was like, you know, Carol, like you need something to do while you sit on your ass watching Netflix. And so that's how I ended up printing out a bunch of packets today and deciding that I was going to be addressing envelopes. um, So that's how you you do so much. Um, yeah, I actually realized that back in the yarn bombing days, like one reason that worked for me was because I could work on my artwork on the couch while watching Netflix.
0: Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, and not all of my projects are like that. And so I think ever since I left yarn bombing, like I've kind of left that like veg state art making, um, which is really unfortunate because it's really relaxing to me. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Well, yeah s- somehow you still find ways to do a lot i I got your well i mean you wrote a newsletter i think uh like two three months ago about labor and not feeling the the pressure to work so much in this capitalistic society mm-hmm. and then i got your most recent one and then uh i was like god damn carol you read like 25 books
1: <laughs> 20 just kidding just kidding i read like 15 yeah some but- some were visual texts aka movies
0: no but it's great I- it's great i mean i i that's what i've always admired about you it's like i always felt like somehow you're you're you were never satisfied in terms of you know consumption of all these different forms of mediums and um yeah i always i always wanted to be able to read as much or as fast as you and
1: I actually don't read that much. You know, you see people, I have one adult friend. She was reading one book a week last year. Mm -hmm. And I just don't understand how people do that. Um, Yeah, I think that I actually don't read that much. But a lot of the books I read are just critical theory and dry. And then I just like pepper it with some Afrofuturism. um, So that I don't go crazy
0: yeah yeah that's that, that that's impressive because it takes me forever to get through critical text
1: well to be fair I have learned that most scholars contemporary scholars basically just turn their dissertations into books and so all their books are the same length which is 200 pages yeah, yeah. and for me <laughs> and for me that's the sweet spot that works
0: that still fine. takes me it still takes me forever I don't know I think I'm a slow reader but yeah And I'm trying to think, and then one of the, so like, so the premise of this, this interview, so this is, this would be the third interview that I did to sort of celebrate the two year that I've sort of been doing this strange podcast. And I was thinking of like people who I thought, you know, I admire or who have some sort of importance to both me and the podcast. And you were one of, I think you're the only artist that I've known for this long. I've known you since I was in college, so.
1: Yes, I knew you when you went by Chris. What? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> what? called that. Uh,
0: I forget, what do you call me now? I don't actually, I forget if. I,
1: I, I think I, I call you Chris in my head, and then I need to correct myself. No, 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 D1. Yeah. d So, yeah, I correct myself if that, if that makes you feel better.
0: No, no, I, I, it doesn't. <laughs> cuz Cause, cause you knew me before so that 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 part isn't so important <laughs> um and also like i i don't really I, i'm not angry that you know me as chris All right. uh and then the All other right. thing i'm
1: like yeah so i'm just here i'm just here to spill stories about you from college uh-huh, just yeah. kidding go ahead
0: no i mean i it's fine uh you can tell whatever embarrassing stories you know about me um, uh, and so I just wanted to catch up with you. It's been two years or, well, one year since you were on the podcast, I think two years. I forget 2000.
1: I think just one year. One year. Yeah. Cause I remember when you started up. Yeah. And we didn't talk then.
0: Yeah. Well, we talked just. It was, yeah.
1: Not on the podcast. Yeah. You yeah. Did not yeah. Talk on the podcast.
0: Yeah. And then I also was thinking about you, like, I'm always so jealous of your writing. And if I can read one of the, the thing that you added to your your newsletter, if you don't mind me saying it, I thought it was like really inspiring. This was the excerpt that you didn't include in the essay that you wrote for um, a blade of grass, um, which is about uh, rooting. So this is this is what Carol wrote for an excerpt that didn't make it into the essay. We are asked to stay home, but this is not the act of rooting. We're actually getting displaced because we are forced into global interactions with different time zones instead of convening in the same place. We cannot physically experience our places with our bodies and thus we have interacted with place in a disembodied way. This embodiment means the loss of lived experiences and knowledge and it means that our understanding of the world retreats in imagined rather than a felt sphere. I found it difficult to connect to social political realities because my social political reality is one of disconnect. We cannot spend time in social relationship which is what creates place. We have been asked to view our neighbors with distrust and this creates a larger distrust of the public sphere. We watch our local small businesses aka our sense of place disappear around us. Globalized corporate chains will survive this and globalized corporate chains will are profiting. Our alienation from our labor and our consumption will soon manifest in our alienation from place. Some of us are experiencing how violent our homes are and going through an uprooting process. Some of us have found ourselves stuck at airports, caretaking for family members, forced to move due to job loss, while the world stays at home, who is mapping the pandemic migrants? Some of us are finding connections in plants and nature, but some of us are also watching our homelands burn due to accelerated climate change. Soon, peacecaping everywhere will have to address climate grief and climate migration. We will need to relearn how to speak to the earth at the same time that we learn how to speak to each other the peacekeeping task post-COVID-19 is to move through our grief to rebuild our social, ecological, and local relationships so that we may feel a sense of rootedness in place. So yeah, I was just really touched by that and je- jealous of your writing and yeah.
1: That's what I aim to inspire is jealousy. Um <laughs> But thank you very, very much for reading that. I appreciate it. I really felt like, um, no one would have space to read another thing piece about COVID-19 right now. Yeah, And so I appreciate that you read it, truly.
0: Well, I try. Um, but yeah. So since we last talked, what have you been up to in terms of since the pandemic started? Um, and then we, maybe we can work backwards or wherever this conversation goes. Um,
1: yes. Yeah, so what have I been up to since the pandemic started? Um, well, both of my gigs... I think are very responsive places. So Little Tokyo Service Center works with affordable housing residents um, as well as small businesses in Little Tokyo. And so obviously both were heavily impacted by the pandemic. And so part of me um, has been doing creative projects to engage folks. You can hear the dog in the background. <laughs> And, you know, part of me has just been helping out wherever I need to help out. So that includes calling people for wellness checks. That's what we did when the pandemic started. Um, I'm chairing a committee on small businesses reopening and the way that we're using our public spaces in COVID-19. So how it's affecting one of our workplaces or one of my workplaces. And then for U.S. Department of Arts and culture, um, you know, because we are an entity that imagines effective government response, right? Like imagine what a functioning U.S. Department of Arts and Culture might look like and what, you know, civic action might look like. And actually U.S. Department of Arts and Culture has been advocating for a public service jobs program for artists for years. So we started talking about, well, what are artists, like how are artists being affected by this pandemic, but Mm -hmm. also how are artists stepping up to meet this moment? And what can we do to shine a light on artists who are meeting this moment? Um, And so that's really where the People's WPA project came from. And so I've been working on developing that for the past couple of months and we'll announce our first cohort this month.
0: That's crazy that you got this happening during the pandemic and during the Trump administration
1: yeah i mean it's crazy for all of us (laughs) um and then personal life wise the reason i'm living in a shed is because for my artist residency at Little Tokyo Service Center, I was living in one of their properties, which was single resident occupancy. And what that means is that I had my own room, but I shared a bathroom and kitchen Uh um, with, I think, like 30 other tenants. And so when the pandemic hit, I just thought I was freaking out. Yeah. Um, You know, and I just couldn't, like I couldn't feel safe staying there. And so I was actually Airbnb surfing for a while.
0: Jesus Christ, Carol.
1: Until I finally landed on the sublet. So I've been here for a couple of months and I always joke that I live in a shed, but it's actually a really nice renovated shed. Um, and I <laughs>
0: Wow. Okay. <laughs> and then pretty soon we'll learn it's like a one bedroom house shed thing
1: no no it's (laughs) a studio but like i have a hot plate (laughs) and a mini fridge and all the appliance all the furniture is ikea you know Um.
0: you mean like my first place in la
1: you know what? Probably like your first place yeah. in LA. Yeah, I have my own bathroom. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's good. It's good. <laughs> I am very grateful for this shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's, I think that's a pretty good summary of my life. Yeah. And believe it or not, yeah. I have been trying to take it easy. I know this doesn't sound like it, but I can name so many Netflix series that I have watched. So I think that is a testament. This?
0: What was your favorite
1: um let's see i watched i may destroy you i heard which that was really was, good
0: i heard that was really yeah, good with with excellent. The, with with the with the girl from chewing gum right
1: yes and the thing is i loved her in chewing gum i kind of felt like a hipster you know i was like i was you kind of felt like you Cole. were a hipster carol yeah, I was like, I was into Michaela Cole before the world was into <laughs> Michaela Cole. I'm just saying, I I knew she was a genius in chewing gum before yeah. you knew she was a genius, in I may destroy you.
0: So <laughs> I knew about chewing gum in 2018, but I never watched it. I was, I was. It's brilliant. No, I know. I <laughs> yes. I I'm just not a TV person, so it's I, I have, it takes a lot for me to get into TV sometimes. But I was in a residency in Miami and then one resident introduced it and then the other residents like spent the next three days just like binging the entire thing. So uh, yeah, so I knew about it, but I just, I was just, yeah, I watched one or two episodes. You know, we can't, we can't consume everything.
1: No, we can't, but we can consume critically acclaimed TV shows um, about consent. Um, Yeah, I watched season two of Pose. That was also excellent.
0: I saw the first whole season.
1: Well, uh, keep going.
0: Yeah, it's you and everyone else is telling me that about their favorite TV shows. So it's hard to keep.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm like, while I rattle off my favorite TV shows, you should rattle off all the TV shows people tell you to watch that you haven't
0: watched yet. I've been trying to, I've been slowly working my way through like a Chinese drama to try to practice my Chinese. so,
1: So I also have a Netflix recommendation on that.
0: Oh, really? Which one?
1: Um, which is the Princess Young, okay. And so it is like a kung fu love story set in imperial times. But mm-hmm. oh my god, and the people are so evil. Like the premise is that, you know, there's a princess, she's hidden in secret, because she can't expose her identity. And there mm-hmm. are all these concubines who are jealous of her and scheming against her. And
0: it's That's just like the one that I'm watching. <laughs> are
1: you sure you're not watching the Princess
0: Weiyang? <laughs> I'm watching the Yangshi Palace. Oh, I heard that was good too. Mm, same premise. Okay. I mean, yeah, just she's in the, with the emperor and then all the concubines are scheming against her and she's trying to solve this sort of pseudo mystery that she eventually solves and then it becomes like her scheming against yeah. the concubines.
1: Yeah, it's great. It's great. Love all the backstabbing. Yeah. <laughs> but to be fair, I watched The Princess Wei when I was at residency at Santa Fe Art Institute. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So you, that you, is not you're... one of my pandemic watches. But I watched like all sixty hours of The Princess Wei Young.
0: Was that what <laughs> you did for the first week <laughs> of residency? You the show?
1: Yeah, exactly. So everyone um because z1 has done so many more artist residencies than me their advice to me they were like you know i'm an artist residency you're just supposed to chill for the first two weeks you just chill and then and then you make your work so i'm like okay you know i got this artist residency i'm super excited i'm gonna take z1's advice and i'm gonna chill right so i get there i like got my princess way young you know like um whatever loaded up and then like every freaking person is in the freaking studio like one of my fellow residency (laughs) mates like built a freaking loom um the second day that she was there and she was just like i'm weaving i'm weaving i'm weaving i'm weaving and i was like what the fuck b1 told me to not do anything for the first two weeks of artist residency
0: Um, and did, I, did I screw also, up? Did, did I screw post- up your time? No,
1: no, 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 no. And also, I'm a post studio artist. You oh, know, yeah. I'm like I'm a social <laughs> practice conceptual post studio <laughs> artist. So yeah. all these people are like in their studios, <laughs> like hammering away, making shit, and I'm just like, like post studio, empty studio, watching TV because my friend told <laughs> me watching TV. <laughs>
0: is art right
1: (laughs) was what i was supposed to do
0: so was it helpful or was it bad advice
1: i think it yeah well i think people use residencies in different ways so you know some people they work a day job right they wait like their entire nine to five time to get into this residency yeah And they really need the resource of the residency to make their work. And so when they're there, it's just a month of like, go, 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 go. And so what I had to reconcile myself with, was how does a social practice artist experience residency? Especially given that like my day job, my nine to five is, you know, being on the ground doing creative work and community. And so, yeah, for me, it was helpful to reframe residency as a chill out, not as a space where you had to just like manically make your work.
0: I mean, I gave the advice to you knowing that. Thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, like I wouldn't have given that to like, a, you know, like a woodworker, right? Like I knew sort of, I had an inkling that like you weren't the type to like be working in a studio and, you know, given your, what is it? Sensitivity to place and space and also community building that just takes time. And so it wouldn't I, I said mm-hmm. that to you knowing that it wouldn't make sense for you to hit the ground running because some of the most important things when learning about a place is just to observe and listen. right?
1: Yeah, totally, totally. Thank you for that. Well, that was very wise of you. Um, <laughs> I tried great advice. <laughs> um,
0: yeah, and and so you arrived, I think, in little Tokyo or in LA right before the pandemic, right?
1: No. So, well, I arrived October of last year. So I okay. had about six months um, before the, the pandemic. But, you know, there was one month that was gone because of the holidays. I went on residency for another month. And so, and I mean, you know this, I travel a lot. Like, I landed in Little Tokyo, and then I had three fucking gigs in October, yeah. um, or like three travel commitments in October. And so I didn't feel very grounded, um, very landed. Um, And I think that's part of why, as I've been reflecting on um, how COVID-19 is affecting all of us, um, you know, I've been reflecting on my own sense of ungroundedness. And so that's why I wrote that excerpt mm. about, you know, what it means to feel rooted and what it means to feel connected. Because I, you know, like I wrote that as a direct mirror of what I'm experiencing right now, which is yeah. a lot
0: of disconnect. I mean, do you foresee yourself rooting yourself in L.A.? or Because you've also moved around a lot, right? I mean, from from, yeah. from college you were in L.A. and then you got your grad school there and then you went to Dallas or right outside Dallas for a bit, right? And then also you you went to Philly before you finally went back in um, L.A.
1: Yeah, Um, with L.A., I have to say the price, the rent is too damn high. Um, (laughs) God bless. Anyway, uh, that's what's made coming back. So 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 surreal because when I left LA the first time, I actually had a friend who I known from high school say, I thought you would never leave, like I thought California would be your place. Yeah. Um and whenever Yeah, see, and whenever I would be in these other places, I think people would heavily identify me with the time that I spent in California. And for good reason. I think there are so many amazing things about L.A., but coming back, I just like I can't stop saying that in 2009 or in 2010, I was paying five hundred and twenty dollars a month to live in Los Feliz with two other roommates. Yeah. And in like 2016, I was paying 1325 for one bedroom on the west side. And I mean, those rent prices are just unthinkable right now. And for me, there's a lot about L.A. that feels so unlivable. You know, the traffic has gotten worse. The rents have gone up. And like fucking the sky was orange yeah. for an entire week it's because of seasonal. the fires. Yeah. 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 So, you know, that's been, I think, a bittersweet realization about the sustainability of L.A. It definitely is not the L.A. that I moved to 10, like 11 years ago.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Do you know where you would like to be?
1: I'm not telling people because otherwise they will all want to move there and gentrify it. And I want to get in on the affordable real estate before other people do. (laughs) Okay.
0: <laughs> that's a fair that's a fair answer
1: i yeah. mean i will tell you off the record yeah yeah, 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 yeah. on this podcast yeah. no i don't yeah. think so sorry so, sorry <laughs> listeners sorry schemers. on my
0: very small audience group <laughs> uh yeah well i mean I, I mean i guess the plus side of you being in la is you can ride your motorcycle basically 365 days a year
1: yeah that is true although honestly it's really hard to ride and i would say like 85 degrees and up Mm. um because i mean some people do it but they do it in the t-shirt and shorts and that is the stupidest thing to do yeah Yeah. thank you see you know you took the class so you know they're like all All the the gear gear, all the time time yeah yes exactly yeah so it's just really stupid and every time i pass by a motorcyclist who's not wearing correct gear i'm just like that's stupid you're the reason for the bad motorcycle fatalities statistics in the u.s you know Mm -hmm. yeah and so with your gear on yeah it gets tough above 85.
0: yeah Yeah. i know i haven't had to deal with it because so i so carol is the one who kind of inspired me to get a motorcycle license actually Um, but I finally got it in, in late August or early, late July, early August. And then it took like another two weeks for my license to get upgraded. And then at that point, I had no idea if I would went out, go back to China and then it, and then it gets cold here quite quickly. So I was like, okay, I don't know if I want to spend, you know, anywhere from two to five grand, depending on how used a bike I want for just like two months, you know? So I was like kind of waiting it out. But it's hard to plan in times of COVID, so I decided to yeah. not get a bike um, and spend that money for now. But I feel like I'm losing all my skills that I learned and probably have to take like a, another refresher course when I get back. Right? I mean, if
1: it makes you feel any better, I got licensed in 2018, um, and I didn't purchase a bike until a couple of months ago. It actually, it does all come back to you, I think. Yeah, like what they teach you in the beginners class does all come back to you. It's just that writing on the street is obviously so much different from writing in a parking lot. And so like there's definitely it's definitely intimidating, but it's intimidating because there's like just a lot of practical stuff you need to experience and learn, not because you forgot, you know, not because you forgot. I'm hoping what you that's learned the in class. <laughs> that's Yeah. The you can practice in China or I don't know what's up with your place or with the city that you live in with
0: not allowing motorcycles yeah, or th- yeah, scooters. There's no, yeah, no motor. I don't know about scooters. I just haven't seen any. But to my knowledge, my city doesn't allow motorcycles.
1: Like yeah. every other city I know in China, people are running around on scooters.
0: Yeah, I think my city's small enough. I mean it's a small city I think it's like one million population which is like small for China. What I was told was you know they're like, oh those bigger cities with all those motorcycles they cause traffic problems you know zipping Whatever, in and out. cars call cause traffic yeah. problems but yeah. yeah so but yeah if i if I move to another city, we'll see uh, I you know I don't I don't know what the future holds um, or yeah,
1: whatever. yeah, you have a teaching gig, but also in China you can get scooters. For cheap because my relatives told me that I think it would cost $600 US dollars to get a scooter in China. And yeah. so I actually was contemplating like just stashing a scooter at their place.
0: Yeah. Or if I, if I end up doing like during the summer months, if I'm in a city that allows it, I could rent a motorcycle because my, apparently my motorcycle license allows me to rent a motorcycle in China. So if I'm in a rural enough place, I could just practice that way. But yeah, that's all for future planning that is bad to plan right now right
1: yeah yeah god fuck this
0: year yeah. yeah so what kind of bike do you have
1: i have a 2016 yamaha sr 400 that is actually modeled after the yamahas that they made in the 70s and so what that means is that this bike is kickstart only there's no electric start on mm-hmm. it um And so I literally just got friendly with my kickstart a month ago, but I'm <laughs> not gonna lie, I was struggling.
0: <laughs> yeah, when I took the class, I didn't have to kickstart. They were like, "Yeah, most new bikes don't have it." So I don't even know how I—I probably struggle just as much.
1: Yeah, I mean, most new bikes are electric start, or even bikes I think built after the '80s. But I don't know. I'm like, it's—it's it's a good skill to have, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: and it's I, fun. I haven't even thought about bikes yet, but yeah. Uh, I saw your I saw your recipe, your kanji recipe, your instant pot kanji recipe. Thank you. thank you,
1: thank I, you. Well, I just I like Easter eggs, you know. So I was like, subscribe to my newsletter. You get an unpublished excerpt. That's your Easter egg. Read the footnotes. You get a recipe for kanji. That's your Easter egg. I write good footnotes. <laughs>
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, I can't try out your rest. I cannot try out your recipe because I don't have an instant pot. But
1: right, but you can just make regular shmeagerular konji and just put um, <laughs> the toppings on it. But also, you're actually the person who. Okay, this is going to be very sad, what? but I did not realize that to make um pork konji, yeah. I did not realize until you told me a few years ago that you have to like do it in pork bone broth you know like I think I always chopped up pork and just like put it in the congee while it cooked yeah um yeah but it is so much better when you make broth with pork neck bone and then make the congee it's good thank you thank you
0: for that i forgot i told you that that tip but yeah
1: (laughs) oh i don't i think about it every time i make (laughs) so
0: so my name is forever etched in in uh yeah exactly exactly Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah i i've been eating a lot when i was in in china but i haven't i haven't been cooking because food is so cheap there and also at the time i didn't I didn't really have a real kitchen. I had like a tiny tiny uh, stovetop with uh, no real space. But I don't have that place anymore cuz the my landlady didn't renew it. So actually I don't have a home when I go to China. What
1: the fuck? Yo, this is this is awful. I'm sorry you're dealing
0: with that. It's okay. Out, you know, one one step at a time. So Yeah. But I'll have to be tested before I go back to China. Uh, I think I have to take a test and get the results within the 72 hours before I fly out. So if, it, if I get a test and then I take a flight 72 hours after I get the test, then the the flight is voided or I can't enter the flight or something like that. So, Wow. So that's a whole nother logistics, right? I need to find a test yeah. that gives me my results or I'll just have to that's buy a flight intense. within within three days. And to, China. To, no China. Less, right? yeah, to China, no less, right? To China, no less. And depending on that day, some of the flights... Some, I mean, they're opening up flights um, every day or every week. But right now, some of the flights are like four to $8,000. So Jesus. planning that will be... Like if I can't find a flight that's not that price, then I'll probably not take the flight and wait it out and I'll have to wait it out probably in New York I think I don't know I haven't I, I really I'm still waiting for the embassy Chinese embassy to get back to me on like the exact details so I'm just sort of waiting. Around. Oh,
1: that is so awful I'm so sorry that you're dealing with that. That's
0: all right and then so um, what else I'll be quarantined for two weeks in whatever city I land in and then have to make my way to Duhoy, and then I gotta probably rent a hotel and then find a place to rent after while i'm teaching but you know god bless i have a job so i don't really have anything to complain about um
1: but you know i feel like yeah like everyone or not everyone a lot of people i know right now i think feel guilty for having a job or how about this they feel guilty for having a job but still feeling shitty and i think in a way we have to get over that because I feel that way too. You know, I have two jobs, right? Mm -hmm. Like there are days where I sit around, I'm like, I have two jobs. I have a roof over my head. You know, I have a lot of gratitude for everything I have right now. Um, I know like other people's lives are a lot worse. And also, you know, there's a freaking pandemic happening right now. And I feel like in a way we censor ourselves from, I think like expressing how much this is affecting us because we feel guilty that we have jobs. So yeah. I'm just saying.
0: Yeah. Do you want to end it there?
1: On nihilism?
0: <laughs> oh, I don't feel being able to have feelings in spite of having a job.
1: Yes. Yes. Please have feelings unless, um, so one of my pastimes, I have a bunch of trash pastimes is reading the, am I the asshole subreddit? Um <laughs> And someone posted a story, I think yesterday, where they were like, am I the asshole for not giving up my therapy sport and telling my wife to stop shopping? And I'm like, okay. But it turns out that he's a corporate ad exec and his therapy sport is polo. So he's like, you know, it's hard to get a good polo horse for under $20,000. And so people like that, I'm like, no, I don't validate your feelings. Like I don't validate your feelings during this (laughs) pandemic.
0: I thought this was gonna be a story from a few years ago but
1: (laughs) no 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 no. it's it's current people are complaining about their polo horses right now um and I have no empathy for those people
0: yeah 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 I don't know um thanks for chatting do you want to talk about anything else
1: (laughs) no I think I'm good
0: all right Thanks for talking with me and uh, I really appreciate, you know, talking to you all these years and especially on this podcast.
1: Okay. Thank you. Good to talk to you.
0: Good talking. Seeing Color is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Z1 Chung. Original music by Alex Chow. You can find more information on the website www.seeingcolorpod.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle Seeing Color If you enjoy this show and have the time, I'd appreciate if you could go to Apple Podcast or wherever you listen and give Seeing Color a five-star review. This really helps others discover the show and gives greater visibility for everyone on Seeing Color. Again. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye for now.